Thank you for tuning into the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. We are in week four of what started out as a two-week series. It was just supposed to be really short. We're going to hit it really quick and, and move to a couple of other things, but that's not what God has been doing. So this is a week four of our Keep It 100 series. Cam was so mad at me last week afterwards. He was like, Pastor, I know that you knew that was wrong last week. That sermon was wrong. You didn't look at me one time, so I knew you knew that sermon was wrong. Man, last week was a, a big week. We talked about being overwhelmed and... I really hope that over the course of this time, we've been looking at um, chapters in Psalms that start in the 100s to see what truths we can pull out so that we can keep it 100 with ourselves and with God. We can be completely honest. And week one, we looked at um, whether we are in the highs or the lows of our lives, there are truths that we can grab a hold of and those can guide our hearts and lives. And week two, excuse me, can you turn me down maybe just a tiny bit up here? I feel like there's... That once I get excited, there's going to be some ringing. Uh, we learned in week two that we can walk a blameless life. We can walk out our worship. We learned some practical ways to do that. And last week we talked about what we can do when we feel overwhelmed. And um, if you've yet to experience being overwhelmed, just wait because life has a way of overwhelming you from time to time. And today, um, just going to continue to keep it 100. My message today is titled, You Can't Praise Like Me. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for the moments that we get to spend together and in your word. Lord, we ask that you would do some incredible things in this place as we look into what you've already spoken over us. I pray today that you would open our ears and our hearts so that we could hear you, each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that there will be moments where we feel like you are speaking only to us that you would individualize this message, this word today. And God, I pray that you would anoint this time. You would anoint me as I communicate your word to your people. Help me to do it clearly and effectively in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, anybody grow up playing like the slug bug game? You, you used to punch people. Yep. And some of you don't look at me like that because some of you, you hit people for other reasons. We just made a game out of it. Um, this, is, this is really funny because we would play this game, and if you see a Volkswagen Beetle, you, the first one to say slug bug gets to punch someone near them. Um, and depending on who you're with, sometimes it's just a love tap. Um, other times you're trying to leave bruises, make people's legs go numb, you know, things like that. And if you got really good friends, you know, those are the types of things that happen, or brothers that uh, try to inflict as much pain in that one moment. There were moments when we would try to play this game if my dad was in the car. This was not a game that my dad enjoyed. And so if he heard someone yell slug bug, he'd let that go like maybe once or twice. And then he would look in the back and say, you guys need to quit that game. And, you know, you kind of look at him, you know, because he wasn't fully turned around so I could look at him weird. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, okay, we'll pull up to a Volkswagen dealership and I'll jump in the back and we'll see if you want to keep playing the game. Like. And, you know, there are every now and then my dad would say stuff and you would think, man, that's pretty funny. He was not kidding at all. So we didn't play that game around him. And we, we played that game every now and then with the kids. But it's morphed into a couple other different makes and models. And we do different things. And there's a few that we've tried and one has stuck. And Shantae knows that when we see Teslas, she better not be with us. 
because our family calls out Teslas and we yell Tesla tickle. And when you get a Tesla tickle, you get two seconds where you can tickle a person of your choice. And you can bank them. Our kids have minutes saved up. And every time they talk about using them, we always end with Shantae. Let's get Shantae. That's who we want to get. It's Shantae. Because she gives the best reaction. You could chase her around the house to try to do that. Um, when we first started playing, I'll be honest with you, I had no idea what a Tesla looked like for real. You know, you see them online. But we started noticing the more that we play. And so because I drive everywhere, I began to pay special attention. I no longer kind of sat back and drove to school. I was up. And everywhere we drove, I'm looking. I am on guard. I don't want to be tickled while I'm driving. I want to be in control of who gets tickled. So I would be extra vigilant about spotting these, right? I also started picking up where we would see them every day. I would take the kids to school and drop them off. And there was always at both schools one car in both lines. Different car, but every day I'd see them. So if I remembered quick enough, I could get that one before the kids did. I began to spot them everywhere I looked. I began to notice where they would be and remember that I saw them the day before and the day before. And, and I love doing that. And now I really don't have to work hard at that. We were driving back from district council, no kids in the car. It was just me and Mel, and there were a couple of Teslas that I saw. She was not excited about me trying to tickle her at all. This was not a fun game for her. And I wasn't even really thinking about the game. I have just now become so aware of when Teslas are around. I know what they look like from the front, from the back. If I see a door like pop up like this, I know that's them. I can call them out. It's, it's now a part of who I am. And as I begin to think about today, this story, this game has played into this message. Because the, the more that I started looking for these Teslas, the more I would find them, the more natural it came to see them. And now I begin to think about the more that I look for what God is doing. The more that I begin to look for the moments that he can change things around and that he's doing things over here, the more I start looking for it, the more I see it. And the more I see it, the more I recognize it, the easier that it happens. And I find him unintentionally all the times doing things more and more. And last week as we talked about being overwhelmed, and I began to realize that the more I pour out my pain to him, the more he can hold and the more that he'll heal and the more I've poured out my pain. Oftentimes it does continue to lead to praise. And I begin to look that there are parts of my life, Cam, that only used to have pain. But now they've begun to have praise. That there are things that have happened that God has done that have changed who I am. And that's why you can't praise like me. Because I've been through some things. I've been through things that you haven't been through. And the enemy did hurt me. There were moments that he came against me. There were moments that I hurt myself. I made choices that led me in directions that God never wanted me to go. And all of those things, the evil that the enemy hoped would stack up against me and stop me and keep me from moving forward. That he hoped would subvert the direction that God had for my life, the call that he had for my life. He hoped that all of those things would crush me and overwhelm me and knock me down and keep me down. But the God that I serve began to turn all of those things into good. So now when I walk, every now and then I do walk with a little bit of a limp. Sometimes it's attitude, but don't feel bad. If you see me, if you see me gimping around, if you see me walking with a little bit of a limp, you don't have to feel bad for me because I can look back at that limp and know that that was pain that has been turned into praise. I can know that God didn't leave me how I was. And there's a reason now for me to praise. That limp reminds me that I have a reason to praise. And you do too. 
We, we all do. And you can't praise like me, and guess what? I can't praise like you, nor should I be trying to. And Psalm 103 today will help us to see just how we can praise. Turn with me to the 103rd Psalm. We're going to go through some verses this morning. Let me read to you this first couple of verses. Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will give praise. Oh, I'm sorry. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. All right, hold on. Let me read those again real fast. Maybe, maybe you can hear what's being, going, what's being said. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. Man, it's close. We're, we're almost, by the end, I'm telling you, we'll, we'll be there. We will be there. Did you notice in, in those first couple of, of verses, will you put them back up on the screen so that I can see them as well? In those first couple of verses, there's a word, a phrase that's repeated three different times in two verses. Did you notice that when we read it? It was the word praise. In some translations, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then it wraps back around to saying, bless the Lord, Oh, my soul, and I believe that the reason it's mentioned time and time again is the psalmist is wanting to drive home something for us to know. He's wanting to say it enough times so you don't just pass over it and think, oh, praise God, yeah, pray, praise, yeah. Oh, you mean, he wants to get it over and over again. He's saying that there's something that we should be doing, and it starts with a P and ends with the an E and sounds a whole lot like praise. That's what he's saying we need to pay attention to. And I love how he writes this. How many of you have an alarm in the morning that you hit the snooze button more than once? Yep. Some of us are so cool when it comes to setting our alarms that we set it knowing how many times we're going to press the snooze button. So we know when that alarm goes off, we got one. All right, I set it for three. I set it 27 minutes early so I can push the snooze button three times. Because if you have an iPhone, it snoozes it nine minutes at a time. Now you know if you didn't know. I got that down. And I need that because in the mornings, when that alarm first goes off, I do not want to get out of the bed. Go back. Nine minutes later, hey, it's time to go. Eh, not yet. And sometimes I've gotten into this habit, which I'm trying to break. Every now and then when the alarm goes off, I pull the covers back, and then I begin to run through the reasons why I need to get out of bed right now. Sometimes I just pull the covers back over and stay in bed for another nine minutes. But some of us are like that. We need a little bit of extra motivation to get up and out of the bed. And I love how the psalmist writes this. He's like, oh, you need to praise, snooze. Oh, no, 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 you, you need to praise with all that you are. No, snooze, let me get, no, 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 let me give you a little bit extra motivation. Because here's what's crazy. If we keep it 100, praise is not always our first inclination. We don't wake up in the morning and shout and praise and clap and sing and dance or however you may do it. Most times we feel like we have to work up to it. We want to feel our way into it. That's why I challenge you each and every Sunday. Man, let's get into it. Let's, well, Pastor, I would, but you, you know, if more people clap, then I could clap and I would feel better. I would get into it if it was like that. Pastor, they didn't play my favorite song. If they play, you know that one song that they play. I could just. We need reasons, we need, we need feeling, but I'm here to tell you that, that praising God is not about the feeling. 
the first thing that we have to do if we want to praise like we're supposed to praise is begin to stir it up. That's what I believe the psalmist is doing. Let me, let me show you how this works. This psalm, Psalm 103, is the first of four consecutive psalms that talk about praising God. It ends one of the books of psalms because psalms is written in, in several different chunks. They call them books. This ends one of them leading us to four straight chapters talking about praise. And I believe this, that this celebration of deliverance and praise is in direct response to the pouring out of prayers and pain that we saw in Psalm 102. I don't think it's by coincidence that we see the afflicted in 102 and the praising in 103. Sometimes we stop reading at this chapter of 102. We've been going through so much that we feel like this is us. We're afflicted. We're overwhelmed. <sighs> but no, you got to keep reading to the next chapter. I believe that it is in direct response to what is going on. And that if we continue to pour out our praise, this is a vital, vital step. We see the psalmist start to not just say that he wants to praise, but to begin to work up his praise. He's stirring it up. I love how he does this. He poured out his pray, he poured out his pain in, in 102, right? And now that there's room and he wants as quickly as he can to fill that with praise. He doesn't want to wait until he feels like it. He doesn't want to wait till the mood is right, the lighting's right, the song is right, the candles are right. He doesn't want to wait for any of that. He just wants to praise. He has been afflicted by pain, and now he wants to be assisted by praise. That's why he jumps into it so deep, so quick, I need to praise. And he reminds us this, that oftentimes the difference in us being able to praise isn't the circumstances that are going on in our life. It's what we allow to continue to circulate around in our life. Sometimes we let some things settle that need to be stirred up. How many of you, it, maybe this just happens to me. I go to a restaurant, and they come and they say, hey, who would you like to drink? I love sweet tea. Love it. I would like a sweet tea. Oh, we don't have sweet tea. We have unsweet tea. But if you notice at the end of your table, there is a select variety of sweeteners that you can add to your liking for your tea. And in that moment, there's really only one choice. Should I drink water? But every now and then, man, I just want some tea. So I'll get that unsweet tea. And they bring it to the table and it looks good, right? There's, there is nothing nastier on this planet than unsweet tea. I drink my coffee black. I drink my coffee black all day long. It tastes a million times better than unsweet tea. And so here's what I'll do. The, the waitress or the waiter, the server has said that there's stuff at the table that will change what this tastes like. So what do I do? Grab this, right? Whichever one is your pleasure. If you're like my mom, you grab this many for a six-ounce cup. So I begin to pour these in. And sometimes I, I think, oh, man, as soon as I pour this in, it's going to change things. But you know when they bring you that ice-cold glass of unsweet tea, when you pour that sugar into it, what does it do? It goes right to the bottom. And some of us have put two and three in there, and we're thinking, oh, this is going to be perfect. We grab our straw, we take a sip, and it still is the nastiest thing we have ever tasted. Here's the thing. There's potential for that glass to be sweet, 
for that tea to taste just like I want it. There's already been sweetener put in it. The problem is that I haven't put in the work to start stirring it up so that it would change some things. And so the psalmist says, hey, look, man, it's time to start stirring some, th some things up in your life. You want to praise God with all that you are? It's time to start stirring some things up in your life. You want the atmosphere to be different in your home? Guess what? You got to stir up the praise that is in your heart. You want things to change all that is within you is supposed to bless his holy name. You got to start stirring some things up. Don't just let all the goodness, all the things that you could change the atmosphere of your life, don't let it settle at the bottom. You've got to start stirring it up. He says, let all that I am praise the Lord, not just my words, but my actions. I got to stir it up. All that is within me, I've got to stir it up. I've got to give my life to God. I can't just honor him with my mouth. I'm going to honor him with my heart, with my life. How do I do that? I begin to talk about who he is. I bless his holy name. I begin to talk about the nature of who God is, his character, what he's done in my life. I start looking at that because when God is the object, praise is the response. When God is the object, praise is the response over and over again. And I love that he says, all that is within me. It makes me think back to when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Oh, easy. Right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all of it, all of it, all of it. I began to think about Jesus was just quoting what had already been said. And it boils down to all that is within me, every fiber of my being. That's what the psalmist says. All of who I am needs to begin to praise God. It needs to come up from my thoughts and my affections. All of it should be engaged and united and stirred to praise God. And then he gives us a clue how to do that. In verse 2, he says, and I won't forget, I won't forget, I won't forget what he's done for me. He makes it personal because you can't praise like me. Let me show you how he does this. We not only need to, oh, I, I missed my point. So we're going to stir it up. Then we have to start remembering. That's, that's the next thing that is huge for this portion because we oftentimes forget what we should remember and remember the things that we should forget. No, that don't happen, Pastor. Watch this. You've had conversations with people. We all have those friends that ask us, you know, hey, uh, I dated this person. Don't let me date them again. That was the wrong thing for me to do. <sighs> don't. So then they start dating them again. And then you come back and you say, hey, hey, you told me not to let you do that. But they're different. <laughs> this was yesterday you told me this. They watched a video on YouTube for 30 minutes. They're different. They tell me they love me. They're different. But what about all of the other things that you told me, how they treat you, how you feel when you're with them, how you don't feel like you have a voice, you don't matter. I'm, yeah, but it's different. But I just, oh, no one else has ever told me that they love me. We begin to remember only the good parts. We forget all of the bad things. And, and even we see that happen in Scripture. Time and time again, the children of Israel, Oh, my gosh, as they're walking from Egypt to the promised land, when things got hard, when they ran into trouble, when it wasn't how they expected, they began to think back. Man, remember when we used to live in houses? Oh, that was the life. Remember all the great food that we used to eat? Ooh, man, I had leeks and onions and garlic. Ooh, my stuff was good. It wasn't bland. It had flavor. Oh, and do you remember how warm it was? Oh, it just felt so good to live in Egypt, but they somehow forgot 
about the beatings that they took, the brutality of the slave masters, the bricks that they had to make and carry and use that someone else would tell them what to do. They forgot all about the bondage that they were in. So today I want to help all of us not to have stories like that, but a different story like the psalmist says. I want you to take out your phone, uh, your journal, something. We're going to take a little more notes today. Some of you already take notes, but I believe that as we look for God to show us things that we need to be remembering, that he will do just that. And this will help us to stir up our praise as we start remembering what God has done. Here's the first thing that the psalmist points to that God has done for him. Psalm 103, verse 3 says, he forgives all my sins. He likes this too much. Not so hard. Come on. Not that that's too much. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. The first thing that the psalmist points out is that God forgives. I love this thought because it, it, it lets us know that God forgave, that he forgives today. And he plans on forgiving tomorrow. That he doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't keep things from us. He's not holding it over here. Well, you said, forgive me, but I'm just going to keep it right over there. I know you're going to do it again later. He doesn't do that. And let me paint a different picture for you. This is the life that sin has for each of us. And, And just like I was handcuffed, sometimes we walk towards the people that are holding the handcuffs and we allow them to do this to us. The sin that felt so good suddenly gets tighter and tighter and I'm restrained and I can't move. And so I go to Jesus and I ask him, can you, can you forgive me? Can you just let me out of this? Please, sir, please. Come on, man. This right there. And so now I'm free. And so we begin to celebrate and think, oh, man, this is what freedom feels like. This is what forgiveness feels like. And we go to try and do some things for Jesus. And every now and then we get hung up on stuff. And I begin to look down, and the part of the sin is still there. And I feel like that's probably how God wants it to be. Because, you know, he freed me, but he needs to remind me every now and then, you know, hey, you should feel guilty for the stuff that you did. And I'm oh, man. Thanks for forgiving me, God, but I'll carry this sin around a little bit more. It'll, it'll remind me, you know, it'll keep me humble. It'll, it'll do something else. No, sin always leads to death. There's no part of what God does when he forgives that leaves any remnants of sin because he wants you to be free. He wants you to live in a way that you're not even reminded. This is more what it looks like. He doesn't just take one side off. He takes the other side. And I'm not just free and loose from this handcuffed. Come on. But watch, here's here's the best part. Where's the sin? Where are they at? It, It says a little bit later in this chapter that he removes it as far as the east is from the west. That means he doesn't want anything in between us anymore. He doesn't want anything reminding me of the sin that I was trapped in because he doesn't remember it anymore. He wipes it completely away. It's all clean. I love that God doesn't partially forgive, leaving some of the weight for me to carry. He takes it all. Ephesians 2 tells us that God is rich in mercy. Oh. 
And I love this thought because he gives it out because it won't run out. Well, pastor, that works for some people. It doesn't work for me. No, let me just give you a couple of names of people who've experienced the mercy of God. He gave Moses the murderer mercy when he asked for it. He gave David the adulterer mercy when he asked for it. He gave David the murderer Mercy when he asked for it. He gave Paul, the persecutor of the church and the murderer, mercy when he needed it. He gave your pastor mercy when he needed it. He gave your neighbor mercy when they asked for it. He keeps giving it out because it will never run out. So whoever asks for that mercy, whoever asks for that forgiveness will receive that forgiveness because he has it to give out. So write down, what has God freed you from? Write down right now, what is it that he let you loose from? What did he unshackle from your life? What has he put so far away that you can look back and be like, man, I've been forgiven for that. Second thing is this. He doesn't, oh, sorry, he heals. So we have he forgives, he heals. I love this. This has become a little bit more for me than normally when we talk about God healing, we only talk about the physical things, right? Right? But God didn't just create one part of who we are. And so I'm going to tell it to you like this. And you can take this home with you, put it in your pocket, pull it out a little bit later. That for whatever is broken, he can heal it. Whatever's broke, he can fix. How many of you have experienced God heal a relationship that you thought was broken beyond repair? How many of you have needed peace like you've never needed in your life and God came and gave you peace when you needed peace? So there's emotional healing right there. How many of you have experienced pain that God has helped you to overcome and you're walking in a new direction? Right. So now we see some emotional healing right now. How many of you have experienced God change your life as you came to know Christ? He heals us spiritually. He took stripes on his body, not just for physical healing, but for complete healing. Complete healing. And so if you do need healing this morning. I want you to stand to your feet because I believe as I was preparing for this that God wants to heal. Whatever your healing is that you need, I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to pray for this. If it's physical, if it's mental, if it's emotional, if it's relational, whatever it is, we are going to ask God that created us, that put us all together, that knows us from the inside and the out to do what he can do. And if there's someone in your life that needs healing, you stand up for them. We're going to pray that God would heal them no matter what it is. I believe that as I was, this is, I got two lines of note. That's it. Pray for this. Because I've seen miracles happen. I know that God does miracles. Let's pray right now. Jesus, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to heal, to overwhelm this place. That there would be a special anointing and outpouring of who you are that overflows all of who we are. Lord, that the cracks that are in our lives would be filled with the power of Jesus Christ. Lord, that those of us that need a physical healing, I pray right now that pain would leave their body. I pray right now that diagnosis would change today. I pray right now that disease would leave. Lord, we know that you heal, and not just physically. Lord, I ask for the emotional healing, for mental healing this morning. Lord, if it's broke, you can fix, you can heal, you can redeem, you can do all things. So, Lord, I pray for a peace that passes all understanding, not just for today, but for tomorrow. I pray for victory in our minds in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for there to be healing and forgiveness offered and forgiveness received. Lord, that we would no longer be bitter. We would no longer have hatred 
hatred in our heart that you would heal us emotionally. Lord, I pray for the relationships in our life that are broken, that need the power of Jesus to overwhelm both sides of this relationship, to heal what you can only heal, to put back together what only you can put back. And God, we ask these things boldly, knowing that you love us, knowing that as we pour out our pain, you can catch all of it and you can hold all of it and you can heal all of it. So Lord, we ask and we expect and we believe things to change. We believe for healing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. <laughs> Write it down. What has God healed you from? What have you experienced in your life? What have you seen in other people's lives? Write it down. The next thing the psalmist talks about. Verse 4. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. These next two things, I, I just, this chapter is just overwhelmingly incredible. He redeems. And I don't know if you've thought about this. You've thought about how the psalmist words as he redeems us. From death, in order to redeem something, a price has to be paid to earn it back, to get it back. And he redeems us all the way up to death. From physical harm, he'll redeem us. From slavery to sin, he redeems us. And from death, he redeems us. He paid the price to bring you out of wherever you find yourself today. You don't have to dig and figure out how you're going to pay to move from where you are to get closer to God. He's already paid the price. There's already been a ransom that was taken care of on your behalf. And you may have allowed yourselves, well, I may have allowed myself to be a slave to sin, but there is a family member looking for us, wanting us, that has paid the price for our freedom. We only have to accept what he's already done for us. You see, the death that, that is worded right here is a picture of the pit of actual hell of Sheol. And he goes a little bit further in a couple other chapters that says he doesn't just rescue us from death, but he rescues us to life. It says, you grab me out of the pit and you set my feet upon a rock. He takes us from the clutches of death and places on the foundations for life. He says, build your life on me. This will sustain you. This will allow you to live. This will give you purpose. This will give you hope. He saves us from death and saves us to life. And he does all of this because you and I are treasures beyond any number, value that anyone could place on you. You are priceless in his eyes. And he would pay the ultimate price for you every day of the week. If it was only you, he would have came for you. He would have given his life just for you. You are that important to him today. It's not just your neighbor. It's not just this. It's about you. Write this down. I'm valuable. I'm valuable. I'm a treasure. And I'm redeemed. And then he crowns us. And again, man, the, the, the pictures over and over that the psalmist is painting, he crowns us. I love this. He places this on our heads so that we can feel it. So that when we look in the mirror, we can see what he's put on us and so that it can affect how we live. I promise you this. If I gave you a crown and told you that there was importance to this crown and told you you could wear it every day, some of you would walk a little bit different. That crown would make you adjust a little bit. You would look at people with a little bit more attitude than you have right now because that crown got placed on your head. But this isn't just any crown. This is a crown that has his loyal love 
and his faithful love that he puts on us. And he puts us in a place where we can't miss it. It is there. His kindness is there. His mercy is there. His compassion is there. And it is placed on our heads so that it will begin to affect our heart. And as I begin to look at people, that crown that is there changes the way that I see them. It changes the way that I hear their story. It changes the words that I speak to them as I let this loving kindness, mercy, and compassion, this crown that Jesus has placed on my head, not for my glory, but for his glory, so that the people around me can experience that faithful love, that loyal love, that mercy and compassion that is in my life, and I'm supposed to give it out freely to them. It's not for my glory. It's not so that people can look at me. It's so that they can look at me and see, man, there is a love that you have in your life. There is something that has changed you. And now you're, but even before I ask it, you're giving it out to me. It's affecting me now. you got to tell me about what's going on with you. What's different in your life? How can you look at someone? How can you let this person yell at you and still love them? How can you let them think differently than you do, but yet you still love them and have compassion? Well, let me tell you about the crown that I'm wearing. It's a loyal love and a faithful love. It's mercy, it's compassion, and it has affected all that I am. And as we stir up our worship, as we start remembering all of the things that God has done, as we think back and we begin to stir that tea, it begins to get sweeter and sweeter. And check out what happens next in verse 5. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. He satisfies all of the things that we've tried, all of the stuff that we tried to put into that God-sized hole in our life that never fit, that never made a difference, that only left a bigger hole and a more empty feeling on the inside. None of that could fill it until Jesus showed up. And the more I stir up my praise, the more that I remember what he's done, the more I begin to remember that he did come to give me life to the full. John 10.10 isn't just there to talk about the thief. It's there to tell me what the good shepherd came to give me. And that is life, life to the full. And when he says it, it's a life that is overflowing. It's a life that satisfies. It's a life that gives you more than you thought that you deserved. It's a life that overflows into the lives of other people around you. It's a satisfaction. It's something that when you go to bed at night, you're so thankful for what God is doing, to who he's made you to be, to the calling that he's placed on your life. It fills you in ways that you didn't even know. And it doesn't mean, though, that there's no trials. It doesn't mean that there aren't moments that overwhelm you. It doesn't mean that there aren't struggles that you will go through. But it does mean that our trials can help produce faith. It does mean that when we're overwhelmed, we can endure and we can overcome. It does mean that God will use each and everything in our lives, the good, the bads, the ups and downs, to turn it and work it out for us for our good, for those that are in Christ Jesus. As we begin to think about this, not only does God give purpose, but I, I, I wrote this down in my notes. I feel like he just adds the sugar on top because he gives us the good things. He fills my life with good things. Man, look, who I was and who I am now, there is no comparison to the purpose, the, the things that God has done in my life. And now that I begin to, to look around and I see, God, you called me to this wonderful church. God, you called me to a place that has incredible people that I get to serve. You bless me with an incredible wife and a family that I don't deserve. And every now and then he just lets me see, yep, 
I did all of that. I could have just called you. I could have just gave you purpose, but I sprinkled the good things right on top. The things that you didn't even know that you needed. You didn't know what it was going to be like to have a woman like this love you. You didn't know what it was going to be like to have kids to bring a smile to your face. You didn't know what it was going to be like to serve a people that love Jesus, that want other people to come to know him. You didn't know, but I did, so I just sprinkled all the good things on top. So write down, what's one good thing, one good thing that God has done? How has he satisfied? How has he done a little bit extra for you that you didn't expect? And then it says he renews. And if we wait on the Lord, if we trust in him, he'll renew our strength. We've sang songs. If you've been in church for a long time, you've sang songs on mounting up on wings of eagles and you, you've thought about running and not growing weary and on and on. But this is such an incredible exchange. Because when you're weak, when life has made you weary, when you're tired, when you feel like you have no more left to give, I can go to him and I can exchange all of that for the strength that he can pour in me. And that strength then gives me hope that tomorrow can be different. It fills me with the joy that no matter my circumstances, God will never leave me and never forsake me. I have all that I need in him. It gives me peace that I can make it. He calms me in the middle of the storm. He don't always have to calm the storm. He can calm me and give me peace. He gives me energy and passion over and over again so that I can do what he's asked me to do. I just have to trust him with the exchange. I have to bring it to him so that he can renew me. He can breathe new life into me. I mean, we look through scripture and we, we tout the times that, that, oh man, he turned dry bones into an army. And if he can do that with something that was stale and dead and never supposed to live again, imagine what he can do if you ask him to breathe life into you. Write this down. If I'm not dead, I'm not done. Doesn't matter if you're tired today. Doesn't matter if you don't feel like you can take another step. Doesn't matter how many times you've tried to live for Jesus and failed. Doesn't matter how many times you tried to walk out who he said that you were and failed. Bring all of that to him. And he'll renew it. Bring your weakness. Bring the stuff that you failed at. Bring how tired you are to him. And he'll take it. And he'll exchange it for all that he is. We have to start stirring up our praise. We have to start remembering the things that, that God has done. And David does something really cool at the, at the end of this psalm. He kind of makes a big circle. And, begin, and ends where he begins. In verse 22, it says, Praise the Lord, everything that he has created, everything in all of his kingdom, let all that I am, let all that I am praise the Lord. He challenges all of creation. Praise him. Everything under the sun, everything that's been created, praise God. And then he circles back, but wait, no one can praise you like I can. God, let everything that is in me bless your name. Let all that is in me praise you. You can't praise like me, so praise like you. Don't let all of creation praise God and you don't offer him your praise. That you don't take some time to stir up what he's already placed in your life, what you've let settle down to the bottom, what you've let be, ugh, 
God wants to make sweet once again if you would just stir up your praise. It's not about feeling. It's not about, well, but I need a good song. I need, no, 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 you got a good God. You don't always need a good song to stir up your praise. So start remembering. Start remembering what he's done. I don't want you to think today that, oh, these are for someone else. All this stuff is for for that person. Pastor, you don't know my story. You're right, man. I, I don't know everybody's story, but God does. And I can tell you that no matter what you've done or where you've been, that none of that has made God think twice about how he feels about you. None of that gave him hesitation before he sent Jesus to pay for your sin. Matter of fact, before you committed all of those mistakes, all of those sins, before you left him, he sent Jesus so that you could have a path back to him eventually if you wanted it that relationship with you was so important that he would pay the highest price on the chance that you would choose him even if you said no he wanted you to be able to say yes at some point and it's for you it's why he sent Jesus because he loves you Jesus took your place and my place and paid the price for sin that you and I could never pay and when he defeated death, hell, and the grave. As he walked out of the tomb, he now offers us this life. He offers us all of these things that we've talked about today. He does want to crown us and renew us and fill our lives with good things. But maybe for some of us, we can't see that part because we've yet to ask him to forgive us. We haven't asked him to redeem us. There's still some healing that he needs to work out in our hearts and lives. Would you stand with me as we finish today? Would you just close your eyes and just allow for a moment for God to speak to you? Because maybe you you want, I want to stir up my praise, Pastor. I want to do all these things, but man, me and Jesus, we're just not on the same page. I don't have a relationship with him. You may have had it once before. You, you may not have ever given your life to Jesus, but today, so man, I, I need that. I need what you've been talking about. And if that's you, as as everyone's eyes are closed in this moment, I just want you to look up and make some eye contact with me. Just look up to me. I see that. I see you. Just look up and make some eye contact with me. God is doing something, and man, I, I need to respond today. Pastor, I need to ask him to renew me once again. We're gonna pray. And whether you looked up and made eye contact with me or you know that you should have, If you pray these words that I'm going to lead you in, Jesus will come in and he will forgive all that you've done. He will wipe it all clean. He will remove it so that there's nothing between you and him. There are no grudges. There's nothing else that you need to do to get close to him. You just have to accept what he's done. So would you pray with me this morning? Would you say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And today, I'll accept the gift that you're giving me. I'll accept the new life that you're offering. I give you everything that I am, the good stuff and the bad stuff. I give you all of my hopes and dreams. Jesus, change who I am. Give me a new heart. Give me a new mind. Give me purpose and passion. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. In a couple of minutes, we're not going to just talk about praise. I'm going to give you an opportunity to stir up your praise a little bit, to spend some time thanking God for what he brought back to your remembrance, your memory today, what you wrote down, those things that he forgave you from, redeemed you from, what he's crowned you with, the good things that he's given you. And if you just gave your life to him, there's something else that you get to praise him for. So we're going to spend some time praising him. Let yourself go. Let yourself praise him for the things that you wrote down. Let's stir it up today and start remembering as we praise. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. We would love to hear your story and have you partner with us financially as we work to spread the life-changing story of Jesus. You can do this at newvisiongrandview.com.